0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. Connect with us online at redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Well, as we uh, as we walk in the doors here this morning, as we, uh, as we have survived a bitterly cold week we gather here this morning again to warm ourselves in fellowship around the fire of God's good word for us here this morning uh, here at redemption we believe that the opening the reading the preaching of God's word uh, is the white hot center of our sunday church service that as god's word is like a fire as as the lord says in Jeremy 23, jeremiah 23 jeremiah 23:29 as his word is boldly proclaimed and believed every Sunday that this unique experience of gathering and hearing from God's thorough, holy word is the roaring hot furnace that warms our hearts and fuels our faith for the week ahead. Now, as, as I mentioned last time we were together, as, as a lump of coal can lose its heat when removed Too long from the fire. Last week we learned that that more than Sunday, a good, healthy servant of Christ needs to stay warm, needs to stay healthy by discipling themselves and disciplining themselves for godliness, right? Every day. That if we want to be a healthy church, each of us needs regular heavenly nourishment, routine spiritual exercise, and divine persevering endurance. Now, as Timothy and the Ephesian church are to be working out their salvation, right, according to God's spiritual fitness plan, in our text today in verses 11 to 16 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul now dials his focus in on young Timothy as a pastor uh, to both encourage him and to guide him in his special role as one who was called to teach, one who was called to lead, and one who was called to shepherd his church, that as he hopes for that Ephesian church to become healthy and to remain healthy, that Timothy himself has some spiritual commitments to give himself to in that effort that as he has been specifically called by God to lead this church out of false teaching and then towards spiritual health, Timothy's devotion, Timothy's practice, and his commitment to the church is going to be a crucial hinge into the success of that church becoming healthy. And so, friends, today's sermon... Uh, is about that. It's about his devotion, his practice, what Paul is calling him to as that pastor, as that elder of that church. So today's sermon is going to be a little bit different than normal. Uh, today's sermon is going to be about a pastor's commitment to his church, an overseer's commitment to the church, my commitments to you as a pastor for the goal of spiritual health here at redemption. So let's look at chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Paul writes, he continues in this letter to Timothy. He says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come before you this morning as the redeemed, as those who have been purchased by your blood and justified by your grace in your Son, raised from the grave 2,000 years ago. We rejoice in that this morning. We praise your name this morning as we already have in song. We praise your name right now that, that your word is open before us and that it is clear and that it shines the light of your gospel onto our hearts and that through your word you are renewing our minds and you are transforming us into your image. And we pray for more of that. Each one of us desires uh, to live for you. And we pray this morning that as we we come through the doors of this church, as we enter and gather with, with our church family, That as we come in repentance and faith every Sunday, remembering the week before and looking forward to the week ahead, uh, that we would be turning to your word right now, that you would help our ears to be attentive and our eyes open to what you have for us through your word. Your word is like a fire. It does consume. It does expose our sin, but it also reveals the goodness of Jesus Christ and the glory of his gospel applied to our hearts Every day, As as we continue to want to learn what it means to be a healthy church through this letter, would you continually transform us for your glory? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So not only do we have the qualifications for pastors and elders, overseers in chapter 3, but here right now what we see is some commitments for pastors, commitments for overseers of the local church. Like I said, for the health of the church. As Paul instructs young young Timothy here, we see he's calling him to command, to teach, to set, to devote, to practice, and to keep. A pastor's commitment to his church is a crucial hinge to the overall health of the church. And the first commitment that we see here in verses 11 to 12 is a commitment to living an exemplary life a commitment to living an exemplary life. Back to verse 11. Command and teach these things, Paul says. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in faith, or in love, in faith, in purity. Brothers and sisters, as we saw with elders and deacons already, character is everything, right? Biblical character qualifies And so, too, it is with the commitments of a spiritual leadership, a a commitment to character and exemplary character that leads the church towards health. As as Timothy was called to teach these things you see here in verse 11, uh, Timothy is to continue teaching everything we just heard last week, all of what we learned about, what it meant to discipline yourself, for godliness, that spiritual discipline as a follower of Christ. And as he teaches these things, we remember that Timothy himself was a pastor, but he was a young pastor. Uh, most believe that Timothy was uh, in his late, uh, mid to late 30s, but some scholars uh, even speculate he could be in his, uh, in his late 20s. And as the, the culture of his time uh, would have equated uh, gray hair with wisdom— In all respects, Timothy was a young buck. He probably didn't have a lot of gray hair yet. Uh, He was uh, probably facing a lot of suspicion within the church and even some disrespect uh, among the people because of his youth. And then on top of that, as as Paul uh, used his apostolic authority to put Timothy in as the pastor at Ephesus, as he called Timothy to come along and swing a little spiritual weight in his place, Uh, There would have been those around him who may have been around the church for a lot longer than he had been. Uh, Some may have been a lot older than he was, and they would have wondered, what is this young guy trying to do? Who does he think he is stepping into this church and trying to train me for godliness? And what does Paul think he's doing by sending such a spring chicken into the church to train me? he would have faced a lot of pushback because of his youth and he would have even been despised to which Paul says let no one despise you for your youth Timothy right let no one look down on you because of your youthfulness but he says but set the believers as an example what Paul is saying here is in light of Timothy's perceived immaturity Timothy is to be an example of maturity, the mature Christian that he is. Basically, Paul is saying to them, let them charge you all they want. Let them bring whatever charges they want against you, but prove them wrong with how you live your life. As Paul already told Timothy, right, not to bring on any elders who are recent converts, Timothy was no recent convert, he was young, but he was no recent convert. Although he, he may have looked you know, short on years physically, Timothy would have been long in the tooth spiritually. He had years of faith under his belt. We know this just by looking at 2 Timothy 1.5. We know that Timothy was raised by a faithful mother and a grandmother who were influential in his coming to faith at a young age. 2 Timothy 1.1-5. Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now. And I am sure dwells in you as well. So just on a side note, mums and grandmas don't think that your gospel influence isn't doing anything. I mean, look at the outcome of Timothy here. You know, encouragement to keep it up. Be that example. Be that teacher of the word in your home uh, to your children, but keep it up. Look at the faith of Timothy. We see that he has sincere faith because of the faithfulness of his family. We also know uh, of Timothy's faith through his desire to follow Paul. Uh, when Paul was on his second missionary journey in Derby in Lystra, this was about 15 years before the writing of this letter. According to Acts 16, Timothy uh, was already well known amongst the brothers, and he left everything he had to follow Paul on his ministry, uh, forward to some many, many hard things, right? And so although Paul knew of Timothy's faith very well, and, and Paul would call him his spiritual child, uh, this church in Ephesus wouldn't have known that much about Timothy. He didn't grow up amongst them. And so they didn't readily trust him. In fact, it seems that they despised him, to which Paul says again, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example. Or as uh, the word allows, be a model, Be be a pattern for believers to follow, right? He's not just to preach Preach the, the, the preach is to, to walk the walk, right? Not just what do what I say, but, but do as I do, right? That walking the walk, that matches the talk, that if any of the people in the church have an issue, Timothy's uh, exemplary life is going to speak louder than their words. And how was he to do this? Paul says, Be an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, right? He's to be an example in, in, in how he speaks, in, in how he loves, and how he lives, how he believes, how he deals with sin, right? And we can commend that to our own lives, right? Be an example in how we speak, in how we love, and how we live, how we believe, and how we walk in purity, right? How we're dealing with sin in our own life. It's It's a commitment to living an exemplary life in front of your church. Because although they may be hesitant or skeptical about Timothy, they are watching him. And they're watching his character, and his character will ultimately silence their concerns. You know, when the Lord began doing a lot of work on my life, you know, about 12 years ago or so, I began listening to a young pastor who was, he was really shaking things up in the evangelical world. He was preaching a bold gospel, embracing a reformed theology. He was planting churches all over the northwest uh, of the United States. Everybody thought the church was dead, but these churches were planting and growing. Uh, his church was the fastest growing church in America at that time. Many were coming to Christ and through his online ministry, I, I listened a lot to what he was preaching. I listened to a lot of sermons. I listened to a lot of his theology, and, and I learned a lot, and I grew a lot as well. But after some time, after I dug a little deeper and, and listened a little closer, and even grew some discernment, I began to become concerned about some of his teaching, I got concerned about some of his approach, I became alarmed at some of the reports of, of how he handled himself outside of the pulpit, the language he used, the way that he treated his staff, and then the ultimate revelation of some major character issues that disqualified him from ministry. The church imploded that he began, and it hurt thousands And more than that, it ruined the testimony of Jesus Christ all over the northwest of the United States. This was a young guy who sounded the part, but in the end, his life was not exemplary. He was not an example of speech or conduct or love or faith or purity. And I've seen this far too often in recent years, especially in the celebrity evangelical world. Now, I know this is a negative story, but we have to know that there are also countless stories, unspoken stories that speak of faithful pastors Men of character who not only talk the talk, they walk the walk in front of their people. That their lives line up with what they say. That their mouths are not revealing a heart after self, but a heart after God. That their conduct is marked by love and faith and purity amongst the church. You're not going to hear about them on the Christian news, but you can see them day by day, week by week, Serving local churches, faithful men, following Christ closely, elders and pastors, men that you can imitate, men that you can follow. And this is God's good design. To steal a term from the Mandalorian, this is the way, right? This is the way God designed the church to function. Where leaders are modeling and disciples are imitating. This is God's way. We see that all over the scriptures. In Philippians 3.17, Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, right? As I walk, therefore you walk. To Titus, he writes, this is another young pastor, he writes, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. Right? Modeling what integrity and dignity looks like, what an authentic Christian looks like. Because as the leaders go, so goes the church. Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. As the church in Ephesus was suspicious of Timothy and his youthfulness, Paul knew that respect wasn't something easily given, but rather it is earned and it is confirmed through an exemplary life, a life that would out-argue any accusation, a life to be followed, a life effectual for the faith of others. And so as we look at ourselves in our church and as we we are planning and praying towards spiritual leadership here as we are seeking to qualify men through above reproach character, through the qualifications of overseers. And as I lead the church right now, we're going to commit to you all. We, we commit to living authentic, transparent, exemplary lives. Lives worth imitating. That's our goal. That as we lead in the word, we're also going to lead with our lives. right? It's, it's, it's one thing to be taught something or told something, which may lead to some theoretical knowledge, but it's another to watch somebody get it done. right? It's something else to watch how the gospel is applied to a leader's life and how it transforms him and how it changes how he lives. We commit to that. And friends, this is not just applicable to pastors and elders. This is applicable to all of us here as the church. Men, as you're as you're called to lead your homes, to lead your wives, to lead your children, this starts right now. This doesn't wait. Right to be an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, friends, men especially, I'm calling on you in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Be authentic. Be accountable. Be an example. Lead your home. Lead your church. Lead them in faith and love and purity. And this also goes for our women as well. As you lead your lives, as, as you lead your children, as you lead other women in your resurrected and transformed lives, how you speak, how you live, how you love, how you believe, and how you approach your sin speaks volumes for those who are watching. And believe me, especially when you have kids, your kids are watching. They get the real deal at home. Your friends are watching. Your family is watching. What are they seeing? What gospel are they witnessing by your life? What kind of disciples are we making as as others follow our every move? And so this, this call to live an exemplary life is, yes, the standard for the overseers of the church. Lives to be followed, but it's a call for all of us as well because we're all disciples, which means we're all disciple makers, and so we need to commit to living exemplary lives, right? Just think about in the trades, like like a journeyman and an apprentice. The apprentice watches what the journeyman actually does compared to what the journeyman says, right? And you can either pick up the good habits or you can pick up the bad habits as well, right? And so, This idea of imitating and walking, yes, is going to out-argue. It's going to out-argue what we say, and we pray that we will live exemplary lives that match what we teach. Now, as you look back at verse 1 there, we see Paul telling Timothy to command and teach that the things God has for the church are to be boldly proclaimed and explained. Why? Well, because it's God's Word, right? Right? It's his master plan, right? It's his design for a healthy church. As Timothy was to lead, his only hope in turning this struggling church around was not to run to worldly ideas, was not to go chasing pragmatic things that, that seemed to have results. What he was to do was to chase after what's biblical. And that's what's carried on here in verse 13. Paul writes, until I come, remember Paul was planning to come and to help, Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Friends, the second crucial commitment that a pastor, an overseer, an elder makes to the church is a commitment to leading a biblical ministry, a commitment to leading a biblical ministry, a ministry that both embraces and heralds God's word in everything. Friends, if a pastor has anything to say, anything to command, anything to teach, he must say it from the scriptures. Anything we do as spiritual leaders, we are to do according to God's word. Why? Again, the answer is because it's God's word. Because it's the word of God that does the work of God in the heart of man. Right? As the Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Right? God's Word is, is, is a burning hot fire that burns out the dross and the impurities of the people, and it's God's Word that breaks the stony heart to produce a heart of flesh. What about the prophet Isaiah, what he had to say in Isaiah 55, 11 about God's Word, that God's Word shall not return to me empty... But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's the word of God in the hands of the Spirit that transforms hearts and lives. It's the word of God, according to Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the attentions of the heart. The Word of God is not only a fire and a rock, but it's also a precise surgery that opens you up and exposes the sin, removes the issues within, and puts you back together again. It's the Word of God that does the work of God in the heart of man. Friends, the job of pastors is not to be the most creative, the most persuasive, the most relevant, but rather to rightly handle that word of truth. To open it up, to explain it, and then to get out of the way of it and to let the word of God do its work. Just like Charles Spurgeon would say often the word of God is like a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose. Or like my pastor Trevor from our North Church would often say from the pulpit, he would say, I've got nothing for you this morning, but the Bible has everything for you. And it's so true. And like Paul says here, we know this, therefore we need to devote our lives to this, to both the the reading of the Word of God and the heralding of the Word of God, right? The heralding of not my opinion, not the latest trend or the fad, but rather the everlasting truth of God's Word. The other day I turned on on the safe for the whole family radio station and I heard a short Bible moment encouraging, meant for encouragement from some ministry and the leader or the pastor of this certain ministry went on to talk about how we are to motivate ourselves in this time of COVID, that it's a hard time, right? And, uh, and although he had some great practical ideas and some helpful thoughts, the problem was that what he was saying was no different than some secular motivational speaker would offer. In fact, instead of running to the scriptures for God's encouragement, he ended up quoting a secular self-help book. Not once in this 15-minute Bible moment was the Bible even proclaimed or referred to. Friends, the job of a pastor is, is not to teach the next best self-help book. No, our, our job is to command and to teach God's Word. Paul said command and teach. He didn't say suggest and deflect He didn't say throw softballs. Friends, preaching and teaching according to Paul here is imperative. It demands attention. It demands a response because why? Again, it's God's word. It's not my word. It's not the world's word, but it's God's word. And Paul says to Timothy, in light of that, devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Biblical ministry is word-based ministry. This is Bible-based ministry. It is the anchor that keeps a ministry healthy is to have that anchor set in the word of God and to have the highest view and the highest reverence for Scripture. In my theological training, one of the most influential points that I remember from one of my professors who was also a pastor who who taught us and said that our jobs as future pastors was to lead people to having a higher view of Scripture. That as your people have a higher view of God's Word, they will have a higher view of God Himself, and they will ultimately, through that process, worship Him for who He is, as He has revealed Himself to be according to the Word, not how we're trying to make Him up to be. That's Word-focused ministry, Word-centered. This is why we as a church involve the Word in all that we do. That's why scriptures are read publicly here every Sunday. This is why our prayer times are led uh, not just by our whim or fancy, but by the Word, right? Scripture-fed, Spirit-led prayer. This is why there's a lot of scripture upon the screen every Sunday, because the last thing, friends, that you need is my opinion what we really need is God's word. We need his fire, we need his hammer, we need his counsel, we need his wisdom and his truth. This is why in my role as a pastor, I devote the largest percentage of my time to preparing the spiritual meal on Sunday. This is why in Acts 6-4, the apostles had to delegate responsibilities to others so that they could do what? so that they could devote themselves to the Word of God and prayer. This is why we regularly have books in our study that expound the Word of God, that apply the Word of God. That's why last summer we went through a hermeneutics course, right, teaching us how are we to discover the meaning and interpret the Word of God. This is why we're careful to sing songs that are based on God's Word because what we need most is God's Word, that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? Through the Word of God. And apart from it, if we close the door or keep our Bibles closed, we might as well just go home. We might as well just go and forget everything. Just reading the Word of God is powerful. It doesn't return void. The public reading of Scripture here in this text literally means to read it out loud. If you remember back to our study through Nehemiah, right, as the people returned back from exile and as they were rebuilding that wall, you remember the real work finally got done, the real work of transformation on the hearts of the people finally happened when Ezra stood in front of the crowds and he opened the scrolls and he read them. Nehemiah 8 tells us that he stood on a platform like what I'm standing on right now and he read from the law from early morning until midday and the people were attentive to it. Nehemiah 8, 5-6, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and as he opened it, all the people stood and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The word of God in the public reading, the reading of the word of God out loud is powerful. It was the reading of the God that convicted Israel of sin and led them to repentance and worship. And so friends, as we live and as we gather as the church... We're going to herald the Word of God. We're going to open it up. We're going to read it. We're not going to undersell it. We're not going to underestimate it. It is the all-powerful Word of God. We open it. We read it. And we trust it that God would do what he can only do through his Word. And along with the reading, we're called to teach it. We're called to exhort it. Right? Teaching basically means that that we dig deep and we discover the meaning within the historical context and and the grammatical context, understanding what the meaning was, right? And what the meaning is. And we explain that text to each other. We rightly divide it and we preach it as the very words of God. And then exhortation means that we call each other to respond to the word of God, to apply it and, and to believe it. We take the sense, we take the meaning, and we apply it to our hearts. This takes us back to Nehemiah again. As the scrolls were being read, we remember that there was other priests involved in this, and as the men would take the scrolls and they would read, they would also explain it to the people. Nehemiah 8.8 They read from the book, from the law of God, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And friends, this practice became the standard. This this practice of standing and reading the scrolls carried forward through the Jewish synagogue system. And when the new covenant came in, in Jesus' blood as the New Testament church was born, this is one of the things that remained the same. The public reading, the public teaching, the public exhortation of the Scriptures. And as Timothy was called to command and to teach these things, he was commanded in verse 4 by Paul. Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy was not only qualified right through an exemplary life, but he was also spiritually gifted by God to teach. As we look at the gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12, it explains. Romans 12, 6-8, having gifts that, acor- that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Always underline that when you go by that. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, let us use them. Right? That means, do not neglect them. That even though Timothy was known to be shy and timid, he was to remember God's gifting, right? Not his own weakness. He was remembered to, to remember God's gifting. And he was to remember that with that, that other men confirmed this gifting to him through prophecy at that time as well. How a council of elders confirmed his calling, Right? how their laying of their hands on him was a confirmation that he was one chosen by God to teach and to exhort the people. When I was going through the process of confirmation to become a pastor within our fellowship, one of the questions I was asked was this. It was, if you could do anything else beside pastoring and preaching, what would it be? And the question is intentional in the sense of this verse right here. As Timothy is commanded not to neglect the gift he was given, a pastor who teaches and exhorts must not neglect what the Lord has called him to do. In fact, as I was given that question to answer, it was a test of sorts, right? That if I could see myself doing anything else, then perhaps I shouldn't be a pastor. That if I truly got it, that if I truly understood that the Lord has called me to teach and to preach, and that he has put that desire deep in my heart, I can do nothing else. I have to do this. That I need to truly see that it's not a choice I just made one day, but a choice that God made. And that as he gifts and calls, therefore I must obey and devote my life to what he is calling to this service, that it's a commitment. It's a commitment to what the Lord has already committed, to embrace his calling in the best of days and in the worst of days, to trust what he has started, to trust in what he has revealed, and, and, and for me to devote myself to his ways, to his truth, to his word, because it's all that I have. It's a commitment to living an exemplary life and leading a biblical ministry. And then a third commitment we see here next in verse 15. It's a commitment to learning for personal growth. Verse 15, practice these things, Paul says. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Brothers and sisters, a pastor can only lead his people as far as he's willing to go himself or better yet a pastor can only hope to grow his people as much as he's willing to grow himself as as Timothy is to teach and to preach and to exhort and to command if he's not first practicing what he's preaching if he's not immersing himself in the transforming truth if he's not saturating himself in God's word and truly spiritually growing he's not listening to his own sermons He's being hypocritical. He's not believing what he's preaching, and he's missing the whole point. Friends, in, in my training and preparation for ministry, I've, I've heard many pastors and teachers tell me that, that as I toil in the Scriptures, before I can truly preach to my people, the sermon has to be preached to yourself first. So as much as I'm working hard to get the sermon prepared and right for Sunday, I must first welcome the Word into my own heart to allow the the hammer and the fire of God's Word to be pounding on my own heart, to be teaching me, to be convicting me, to be producing worship in me for the Lord. If I'm not moved by God, by what I'm studying, if I'm not being transformed by grace, you shouldn't believe what I'm sharing from the pulpit. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, what is preaching? Logic on fire. He said, preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. A man who has so saturated himself with God's word that, that God lights a fire within him that's burning out the dross of sin in his own life that is fueling the faith within him. The fire of God's word that must come out, that cannot be contained, that needs to spread, to heat the body, to fuel the church, to grow faith, to produce worship. If I'm not moved, if I'm not lit on fire by God, and if you don't see me growing or progressing in my faith because I'm neglecting to submit myself to God's word, you're not going to believe what comes out of my mouth. And so as I remember this and, and focus on this, I'm reminded to fuel myself, to feed myself. Future elders, be fueling ourselves, feeding ourselves first. It's like that oxygen mask on the airplane. Right, the instructions, you open up the instructions when you're on the plane, you get a sudden loss of air pressure and the masks drop down the instructions don't say, put the mask on your kid first. The instructions say, put the mask on yourself first so that you can other, help others to breathe. And so I commit myself. I must commit myself and our future elders and leaders all the more to make sure that we're practicing what we're preaching, that we're immersing ourselves, that we're growing in our faith. So that all of you will see that we're progressing. Men of the word, men of prayer, men of the spiritual disciplines, living, leading, and learning for personal growth. And then, fourthly, friends, if we want to be a healthy church, our pastors, our elders must commit to a lasting or lasting for gospel witness. Living, leading, learning and lasting for gospel witness. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. This is basically a summary statement of all that was already said. Watch what you teach, talk the talk, walk the walk. Persist in this, he says, right? Always be watching your life and your teaching For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In a day and age when Christian superstars and celebrity pastors are dropping like flies, and there's such horrific recent news in that. And when even local pastors are disqualifying themselves out of the pulpit, friends, I want to be here to the end. I want to stand through the test. I want to be, as Paul says in Philippians 3.14, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus while I'm on this earth. Because there is more at stake in this than just me. There's more on the line than just my own life. How I live and how I lead and how I learn is, yes, good for me, but even more than that, it's good for all of you. It has benefits for the church. And then even more than that, it testifies to the truth and the power and the glory of God. Friends, the only way Myself or your future elders will last to the end. will leave a legacy of gospel witness as if we continually measure what we say and how we live according to God's word and way. And this is an ongoing process. This is one thing that needs to be revisited over and over and over again in the lives of spiritual leaders. Hence the need for a plurality of eldership. Where we give ourselves to the Word of God and we give ourselves to each other. Where pastors and elders are truly transparent and honest with their lives, and where we truly keep a close watch on ourselves and on the teaching. The false teaching in Ephesus never came like a thief in the night, false teaching always comes in slow and gradual. A misunderstanding here, a slip-up there, of a failure also to have true accountability to one another. A failure to have your eyes set on the way you live and the good doctrine that you teach. It's a slow fade. All of a sudden, when these things sneak in and these things get neglected, the truth becomes replaced with what is false and the people begin to lose the right direction. And open, blatant sin is festering, and many are walking away from the faith, as we already studied in this letter to 1 Timothy already. So as I read this, brothers and sisters, I feel this this weight. I know what's at stake. I know that the Scriptures even say in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I know this and there's there's a there's a fear and a trembling that comes in with that at times but more than all that I know that as Christ is faithful to save through his blood and his body that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within me I'm covered with his righteousness and I know that God's call is for simple ordinary men to die to themselves and to pick up their crosses And to follow Jesus Christ. And that leads you at times into spiritual leadership. And friends, there is nothing else that I would rather do. There's nothing else that I desire to do. And that's what I commit my life before you for. I'm called to do it. To give myself to the most glorious cause in the whole wide cosmos. To give myself to Christ who so freely and lovingly gave himself for me and for you. To give myself fully to the bride, his church, which he loves for his glory. And so in that I commit to living an exemplary life. I commit to leading a biblical ministry. I commit to learning for personal growth. I commit to lasting for gospel witness. I commit to these things. I don't want to be the statistic. I want to be faithful. I want our elders to be faithful. I want them to be models that we can imitate ourselves after. More than that, as we imitate ourselves, as we model ourselves after Christ, we remember that He who started a good work is faithful to complete it. These are the commitments of a pastor, these are the commitments. Of elders. And as I have lots of spiritual heroes uh, in, in my life, men that I look up to, there are some that are that stand out as as models. And I aim to not just model myself after them, but to look past them at Jesus Christ as they follow him. And I love to hear pastors that give themselves to a church for 50 plus years. And the church is healthy. And the legacy is that the gospel is on display and people are being saved and people are being transformed by Jesus Christ. That's what we commit ourselves to. As leaders of the church, as elders, if we want to be a healthy church, our leadership must commit ourselves to living exemplary lives, leading a biblical ministry, learning for personal growth and lasting for gospel witness. Let's pray. Father, as we read this word and as it may even be different for a sermon uh, to hear the commitments of pastors and elders towards the church, Lord, how do we apply this as a church? Well, we know, Lord, that you call us to be in prayer at all times, to be praying for our leaders. And I do pray that uh, we as a church would fully embrace what it means to, to, to follow and pray. Uh, for the leaders of the church, and I pray that as we get insight into the commitments uh, of uh, pastors and elders towards their church, that it would inform our prayers, that we would be a regular uh, part of our people's prayers, because we need you. We need the Spirit to be at work in us daily. We need to be picking up our crosses and following you daily, living lives of sacrifice, lives of Uh, that are exemplary, Uh, lives that are worth following, Uh, lives that are devoted to biblical ministry, not running to the ways of the world, but running fast and hard to your word of God, seeking it as our sole source of truth, and also feeding ourselves as we also just walk through what it meant to discipline ourselves for godliness. Uh, We need to be as elders and, and, and pastors doing the same thing, feasting upon your word, disciplining ourselves in your ways and ultimately praying for lasting gospel witness. Lord, we pray that as Redemption Church is is still in its infancy, but yet growing, we pray for your hand to be upon it, growing and providing, uh, transforming our people, but also raising up leaders amongst us, raising up elders and raising up men who would commit to these things. Here with me as well. And knowing that this is only by the strength of your spirit, as we are convinced by your word, as we are motivated by your gospel, all for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media to stay up to date on current events and information from Redemption Church, Calgary South. And don't forget, you are loved.